All right. How's everybody doing today? Good. All right. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm just going to go right into my sermon. I'm covering the book of Acts. And right now we're at the po- a very pivotal part in the book. It's where uh, Brother Saul, a very uh, angry man, is <laughs> a man filled with rage, a lot of hatred. He gets converted by this, by, by an, with an encounter of Jesus Christ you know, on the road to Damascus, Damascus, and Jesus encounters him, knocks him, knocks him down, and from that point, you know, he's converted. He becomes a Christian, and uh, you know, in verse twenty of chapter nine, right after his conversion, we we see a word that that kind of really sh- kind of surprises me, and I don't know if you guys. Um, really caught this word or not, but the word is immediately. Okay, the word is immediately. It says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. So I'm going to read from chapter, I mean, verse 20 from, of chapter 9. I'll read it for you guys. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who, who called upon his, this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who, who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That's a, it's a, when I read this, the word that pops out to me is immediately. This word tells us a lot about the kind of, not so much the kind of person, but the type of conversion that Saul had undergone. Okay? He didn't take time to kind of like let things settle down. Okay? Time for his reputation to subside. Because he had just a few days ago had been pre- persecuting Christians. Okay? It was like, uh, like not even like a week. It was a few days ago. Okay? He was on that road to Damascus. D- Damascus. I can't get that word right when I try to talk fast. He was on the road to Damascus because he wanted to go and round up these believers Okay, that had spread all the way up to Damascus. He tied them up and bring them down back to Jerusalem. And he wasn't just a follower of this persecution. Okay? He was like the ringleader. He was like the poster child for Christian persecution. Okay? He, everybody knew him. He, he, was, he, was such a, he was so adamant about persecuting uh, Christians that his, his, his name had spread all the way up to Damascus. And like, hey, isn't this Saul? Isn't this the guy that was persecuting all the Christians? Okay, so he didn't, you know, he didn't like let time to sink in. He just started preaching Jesus immediately. Okay, and he, and he was he was a ringleader. Okay, and he had this reputation of being a persecutor of Christians. So right after his conversion, you wouldn't blame him if he kind of laid low for a while. Okay, you wouldn't blame him if he some, spent some time to like lick his wounds. You know, let the dust settle. Kind of like, you know, like hide out a little bit, you know. I remember when I, when I read this and I started writing my sermon, it reminded me of a time when I used to live in L.A. And I was, a bike, I was like a bike messenger in downtown L.A. Okay? And then, uh, I, you know, it's like a predominantly Hispanic Mexican people have this job. And it's like, you know, there's a big group of them. It's like almost like 80, 90 of them. They all hang out together. They all, you know. And the majority, I was just going to say, they're all Mexicans, okay. I grew up with Mexicans. I'm friends with Mexicans. So, you know. And so, like, they were, they were predominantly, like, Hispanics, you know, and they, they would. Uh, it was a cool job because you just ride your bike all day and you get paid pretty well. And then, and so, I started hanging out there. And I was, a, I, was a, I was a driver. So, I used to drive and I started hanging out there and stuff. And then uh, I made some friends. I made some, a couple of really good friends. And then, but there was this one guy who didn't like me. And he was like, man, man, Chino, what are you doing here? They call me Chino. My name actually in America was Chin, right? So they just added an O at the end and made me Chino, which is Chinese. It's like, Chino, what are you doing here? And he's, I, I even forgot his name, but he, he just didn't like me, right? And I felt, I remember I think, like, man, this guy is persecuting me, right? This guy, he just doesn't like me, right? And I'll come around, and he started, like, saying all these bad words to me, like, oh, you're a, a wimpy guy, not so much in those words, a lot of words, like, man, get out of here and all this stuff. But I had, like, you know, I have friends, and they're like, man, but... The thing is, in this kind of culture, you can't expect your friends to have you. You can't really expect them to defend you because you got to defend yourself, right? So even though I had these friends, 
when he would come around, they just kick it and just like, mm. and I, I'd be like, man, whatever, you know, go away. You know, not so much in those words, <laughs> but I'd be like, man, just leave me alone, you know. And then uh, I remember one day, like a lot of people, we're all gathered, we're hanging out, and then he got he got really mad for some reason. He just picked a fight with me. He's like, man, and so and I was like, I'm not gonna back down. You know, I'm not gonna be a, a wimpy guy. So <laughs> I, I, we start fighting, right? And we're like, man, we're, we're like, and I was a wrestler. In the high school, so we started wrestling on the ground, and then we're all punching each other. And then it started to drag on for, like, a long time. And it was, like, almost like a ten-minute fight. After a while, people started getting bored and sitting down. And I just realized, man, we both don't know how, how to fight very well, right? So after a while, we were just tired. And I was like, and then he's like, man, forget you. And he just kind of left and took off, right? And everybody was like, yeah. You know, and everybody came up and was like, yeah, that's cool, man. Cool, Chino. You, you know, you stood up for yourself. You know, and then all these people, you know, they like all have my back all of a sudden. And they're like, yeah, good job, good job, man. Don't let him talk to you like that, you know. And what happened was, I think his name was Nova. I think his last name was Nova. He, was, he didn't come around for a long time. Right? He still worked in downtown L.A. We started hanging out at different places. For almost about a month, you, you did not see him. I, like every time I'd come around, he, you didn't see him. Like, he'd always be hiding. Like he wasn't hiding. He was just avoiding certain areas, right. He just didn't, because he realized like, he made up this big fuss, and then nothing came of it. You know what I mean? And now he was kind of humiliated, and so he wouldn't come around for a long time. And I remember about a month later, I was just hanging out. I was like, you know, you hang out, and you, you drink a beer, and do whatever on the, on the area where you, you hang out. And now he came up to me. He's like, hey, what's up, man? And I was like, hey, what's up, man? And then I used to smoke back then. He's like, hey, you got a cigarette? I was like, yeah, here, here you go. And we just, we, we became good friends after that, you know? <laughs> but it took a while. Yeah, it took a while of him having to save face. You know what I mean? He really did. He couldn't just come back the next day. He's like, hey, what's up, man? Let's be friends. But he had to take about a month to kind of sit back, you know, like wear a hoodie. You know, and then kind of just like, you know, like be out of the limelight for a while. He, he had to kind of hide out. He had to let the dust settle. And, and the same way with Saul, he was so adamant about being a persecutor of Christians you wouldn't blame him if he kind of lay low. Start wearing those robes with the hood on it. You know, looking all mysterious, kind of hiding out, you know. Get a haircut. You know, like shave his beard differently, you know. Start going by a different name, Paul. It would, you would not blame him. You would actually expect him to kind of like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Just let me chill out a little bit. You know, let me blend into the background. Let me get this haircut and look different. But this word immediately tells us a lot of things about the, the type of conversion that he had. And the type of life that he started living. It's a very powerful word. Immediately. Immediately. So immediately that the people were amazed. They're like, man, this guy. He's, yes, two days ago he was persecuting Christians. All of a sudden, he's preaching Jesus Christ. The son of God. And this word immediately tells us two things about called Paul's conversion. Okay, and the first thing that I want to draw out is he had a conversion. And in his conversion, this man had no shame. He had no shame. Everybody say no shame. No shame. Okay. He had no shame. So I was like, man, Jesus Christ. No, he's not Christ. He's Jesus. This guy named Jesus. He's a blasphemer. All of, his, all of his cohorts are blasphemers. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to go and round these guys up. High priest, come over here. Can I get a letter? Can you give me a letter so I can take? I'm going to take it to Damascus and round these, 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 these riffraffs up. And he's like, fellow Pharisees, my name is Saul of Tarsus. You know, I'm going to go to Damascus with this letter, and I'm going to round these people up, and I'm going to bring them back. And he, and he was like, man, this, I, want this, I will not stand for this. And he was, he was just pumped up. And, and as he goes, you know, he's breathing. It says he's breathing threats. So I can see he's breathing. <gasps> Jesus, he's, he's blasphemer. <gasps> Jesus and all these people are blaspheming. He's just like he's breathing threats. He's just angry. <laughs> he's filled with rage against the Christians, right? And bam, what happens? He gets knocked on his butt. And Jesus Christ, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, who are you? And right there he knew this is Jesus Christ. And he is the Lord. And right there, in my last sermon, it's like I said, his conversion was like almost instantaneous. 
He didn't have time to think it over. He didn't need it. He was like, oh, Jesus, you blasphemer, bam. Oh, Jesus, you are Lord. You know what I mean? Like, it, was, it just took an instant, right? And then and this conversion that happened to him, this transformation, what happened was it radically transformed him to the core, to his very core. It wasn't just a change in his behavior. It wasn't a change in his mindset, not just his understanding, not even just his heart, but it was a change to his core. And as a matter of fact, it was a transformation of his identity. His identity had changed. Second okay? Corinthians 5.17. It reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you know who wrote this? It's Paul. Because he experienced it right then. In that moment, when the scales fell off his eyes. He's like, man, the old is gone and the new is coming. He knew it. And God uses this amazing metaphor, like it's a literal metaphor of scales coming from his eyes. He's basically saying, you were blind, Saul. Not just in the three days that you were blind, but you were blind all throughout your life. All throughout your education. All throughout, you know, you being a Pharisee. All throughout you trying to follow in, my, in, in the, the laws of Moses. You were blind. You were blind, but now you see me. But not only that, He's saying, now you see yourself. You see who you really are. And in that moment was when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17. Like, li- not literally, but in his mind. He's like, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, I, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He, he wrote this in his mind as he experienced this. And in that new identity, having experienced the fullness of grace, having Fully been embraced by the love of Christ, in that new identity, there was no room for shame, for condemnation. You know, and right then he's starting to write Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. This, these are, this is, he didn't just write, they just one day start writing this. He, he started writing this from the experiences that he had with Jesus Christ. It was an experience. Well, yeah, Holy Spirit came and, 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 and like, you know, empowered him to write this. But it came from the experiences that he had. It came from him actually experiencing this transformation. And immediately he starts preaching Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The exact message they had so powerfully been against. This message that he built, this reputation of fighting. He was now preaching with no shame. Brothers and sisters... Your identity in Christ is very important. It can radically change the way you live your life. And you have to know that your identity is in Christ. Your identity, who you are, who you are, Mina Choi, right now is not what the world says you are, but it's what Christ says you are. We have a man, he's a pastor named John Michael. And he is famous for this list of identities that... He has compiled from the, from the Word of God. He didn't make this up. You know, let me tell you. Because next to each one, he has a Bible verse that supports the identity that you have in Christ. And it's powerful. We use this on the mission field. We use this in our small group. And I mean, we laugh at it because he's so, like, he's so known for it, right, John Michael? But if you, if you, if you read it, this is actually what the, what the Word of God, this is actually what the Spirit of God this is actually what Jesus Christ himself right now is saying that you are. It says, I am a new creation. I am redeemed. I belong to God. I am anointed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. I am free. I am a child of God. I am God's treasured possession. I am loved by the Father. I am a citizen of heaven. I am royalty. I am a priest of God. I am a branch of the true vine. I am part of the body of Christ. I am more than a conqueror. I am untouchable. I am fearless. I am a temple of God. I am seated with God in heaven. I am a friend of God. I am the salt of the earth. I am the bride of Christ. I am made in the image of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am the light of the world. I am created by God's glory or for God's glory. I am an eternal being. I am a blessing. I am a living sacrifice. I have the mind of Christ. I am satisfied. I am filled with joy. I am clothed with God's grace. I bring God joy. I have all things. And I think since then, he's added some more. I think it's like 40-something now. But this is what God is saying that you are. 
And it's not something that you know, we make up. It's in the Word of God. The Word of God says that you are these things. This is your identity. This is your identity. That's who you are. And that identity brings you life. As you start claiming these identities over yourself, it starts to bring you life. It speaks life into you. But you know, some of you guys, although you know that you are these things, you guys are living under a different identity. You guys are still living under your old identity. You guys are living under the identity that says the world says you are. You know, we, me and Mina, we, like, we love the movie uh, Lord of the Rings. Who, who likes Lord of the Rings? Man, it's a, it's a great movie. We, me, Mina just went to the States a while back, and she brought back the trilogy on, on Blu-ray. And we saw it, like, in four days. We saw all three movies. And it's a great, it's a great, like, you know, truly it's a great, it's like this experience that you have, you know, like, really long. But in that movie, there's a guy named Aragorn. Okay, he's played by uh, Vigo Morton. What's his name? Yeah, yeah. good-looking guy. Looks like, he looks like Jesus, like a white Jesus. Um, and he, and, and like, like in the, you, when you meet him, he's like this ranger. He's basically like, you know, he, just like this kind of like this military guy, you know? He doesn't really have much authority. And he just goes, he tells everybody, I'm, a, I'm Strider, I'm this ranger. You know? Because he, that's, the, that's the identity that he's been going by this whole time. It's almost like this identity of one that's like on the outs, always on the outside. Kind of this like this dark figure. You know, always like, you know, like don't, don't like company. You know, like and he's just, just, it's not who he is because who, who, he, who is he actually? He's the king, right? You find out in the third movie, he's the king. He knew that he's the king. But he just refused to go under that identity. He, he, in, in the end, he gets crowned the king. And he is the true heir to G- Gandor. I forgot what that city is called. Gondor. Yeah. He is the true heir to Gondor. And, and he's the king. But throughout the first two movies, he's just like this grunt. That goes around like protecting, protecting this little hobbit guy, but he, but he, he's the king. That's who he. That's his. That his identity. Even though he knew it, he re, he refused to go by it. And in the same way, some of you guys, you guys, your identity, you guys know it. You guys have, some of you guys have actually memorized this at one point. That you've been coming to New Philly long enough. Your small group leader had made you read it, memorize it, but but you guys still don't. You guys are refusing to go under this identity. You know, you guys are royalty. You're, the identity that you have is, is, is the identity that you have in Christ Jesus. And some of you guys have refused to live under this identity. But you live under the old identity that says you're not good enough. The identity that the world speaks over you. You're not smart enough. You're not holy enough. You're, you, you're a sinner. You sin. Your identity in Christ speaks life, but the identity of this world speaks shame and condemnation. And what would have happened if Paul couldn't accept his new identity, but fell into shame and condemnation? He would have still gone to heaven, but he would have believed in Jesus Christ. But you would not have half of the New Testament. You would not have the teachings that, he, that, he, that came out of him as he, he realized who he was in Christ. And he started living his life immediately. Immediately, he started writing things in his head. Immediately, he started living a life for the kingdom of God. Immediately, he started going under his new identity. And there was no shame there. A shame was broken off. Immediately, he started to preach. There's no shame. Whatever he had done, and, and, and later on in Acts, he goes to the disciples, and they're like scared of him. It's like, man, that's Saul. Everybody hide. <laughs> and they're like, and it, you know, but he's like, no shame. And, and then Barnabas says, man, this guy's cool. I got his back, man. I seen, I seen what happened to him. I know his testimony. And they, they, they let him within, you know, in their midst. But, but Saul, he, Paul, he had no shame. And you guys, you guys have to live a life. Where you guys don't, you guys are not walking under your old identity of shame. You guys do not have an identity that speaks death into you, but you have an identity that speaks life. You are not, not holy enough. 
I, I had that identity all growing up. I used to always go to church. Man, I am not holy enough to be here. I'm not holy enough to go to the Bible study. No, I'm not holy enough. I don't, man, I sinned this week. I, I shouldn't be here. I, mean, I could be here. I could listen. But I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to try to get inside this community. I don't think I'm holy enough. You guys, that is your old identity. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are holy. You know why? Because God says you're holy. You know what God says? You are blameless. Even if you sinned yesterday, even if you're sinning right now, if you claim the blood of Jesus and you ask for repentance, he said, you are blameless. You know, I, I mess up with Mina all the time. She's like... Not, like she, she'll, I feel bad. I was like, oh, man, she's pregnant. And I made her do that. I can't believe it. I asked God, God, forgive me. And he said, you're blameless. Like, Thank you, God. <laughs> you guys have to stop living under your old identities. But live under the identity that you have in Christ Jesus. No shame. Everybody say, no shame. No shame. You know, if, if we went by... Past life experience, man, I should be the most shameful person up here. Thank you. I should be the most shame-filled person up here. I, I should be so embarrassed, hide my face. Know what I've done? But no, I, that shame, I, I no longer live under a, a cloud of shame in my life. Because you know what? There's an identity that speaks into me, life. It's an identity that what Christ the true Lord and Savior of my life is declaring over me. And if you guys, you guys want this list, email me. I will send it to you. I have it. I, you know, it's on my computer. If you guys want to, man, you guys have to start living under your, the identity that you have in Christ. So moving on, I want to go to the second thing that the word immediately tells us about, about Paul's conversion. The second thing is his zeal. Everybody say zeal. Zeal. The constant variable. You guys know what the constant variable? Who, who likes science? Okay. The constant variable in the life of Saul is his zeal. If you guys don't know what constant variable is, uh, it is a factor that does not change during a, an experiment. You know? so, so the one thing that didn't really change in Saul was his zeal. Before his conversion, he had a zeal. He was, it even says... I think in Galatians, he's like, I, in Galatians, he's like, I was zealous for the traditions of my father. He, he had zeal. The reason why he persecuted Christians, because he had so much zeal for, for, for the laws of Moses. You know, and when he, when this man said, I, I am the, I am the son of God, he's like, blasphemer! That's, 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 that's a lie. And it just, it, he had the, the zeal in him came up. And he started persecuting Christians. So he had a zeal, and, then, and when he was transformed by the encounter with Christ, he had, a, he had a, a different zeal. He had a zeal of the Lord. You know, there's a warning that goes with zeal, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with this warning. Okay? You have to make sure that the zeal that you have is rooted in knowledge, meaning it's rooted in the truth. You know, some people in their zeal go off and do all kinds of foolish things. Proverbs 19.2, it says, uh, zeal without knowledge, desire without knowledge, also translated into zeal without knowledge, is not good. Romans 10.2, for I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the Jews. He's like, man, we, I had a zeal for God, but it was not according to knowledge. And it's very true. We have to make sure and be careful that our zeal is rooted in the word of God. Okay? There's these cults that come up. You guys, I don't know if you guys have, have read about cults. There are some crazy cults that exist in this world, okay? The, the, the Mormon church, I, I remember talking to somebody. He goes, oh, I thought Mormons were Christians. No, it's a cult. And if you think that Mormons are Christians, come talk to me afterwards. I'll, I'll let you know. It's a cult. I mean, and, there, you know, there's these crazy cults like uh, in, in America. If you're, not, if you're not American, you might not know, but there is in Waco, Texas, there's these Branch Davidians. This guy named David Koresh thought he was Jesus. And then he had about 58 people and their children, like 28 kids, believing that this guy was Jesus. And they had they, they put themselves in this compound. And then when the FBI came, they all they burned themselves. They set their place on fire. They all died. They all died. 
they were zealous. That's, a, that's the zeal, willing to die. There's, a, there's a, a cult called Heaven's Gate. I don't know if you guys know. These are like scientific nerds from, like, from California. From, they're, they're like smart, like educated people. They believe that, that when they, they, if they commit suicide, the spaceship was going to come and pick them up. They really believe this. And they all got dressed up in these black Nike. I, I don't Because it happened in my lifetime. Maybe you, you guys are too. Yeah, it happened in the 90s. So they were all dressed up in these black like jumpsuits, had black and white Nikes on. They all had black and white Nikes on. And they all took like this, this crazy cocktail, put bags over their heads, and they all died. And out of them, only one person didn't die because he, he was actually supposed to go on and like continue on the literature of Heaven's Gate and all this stuff. He, Man, these, these people had zeal enough to kill themselves for a cause. But it was not rooted in knowledge. Yeah. You got you to gotta understand, you, if you, got, you, you have zeal, you have to know that the zeal that you have is from the Lord. Yeah. You have to know that the zeal that you have is rooted in the Word of God. Yeah. Okay? That's, why the, that's why the Word of God is so important. You know, you guys have to be rooted in the Word of God. I can preach to you up here, but what you guys have to do is you guys have to go Take the, take the word of God and study it. Go deep into it. Start getting these answers for yourself. Okay? But not only that, you know, you guys have to listen and understand and, and take in the, the, the teachings and the preachings that's coming from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Not just mine, not just Mina's or Pastor Herman's or Pastor Lydia's, but, but Pastor Christian and Aaron. You know, the leadership of our church, you know, we, we have, we, uh, every sermon that comes from Pastor Christian there, and we have to listen to, we have to comment on. But, you know, and, and it's how you take it. You know, if, if you're like, you know, if you're not strong in your faith, you're like, man, why do I have to do this? Man, why do I, why would I, you know? You guys are not catching the spirit. What you have to realize is that it's the word of God that's going on. It's Chris, Pastor Christian is not God. All right, let me just tell you, he's not God. Pastor Aaron is not God. But God uses them to speak his word out. If you're not listening, you're not catching the vision of this, this house. You're not catching the, the DNA of this house that's coming out. Hey, there's, a vision, there's a vision that is over New Philly. It's a vision to raise up an army. And so I, I encourage you members and people, you guys might not, might not even be members. I encourage you guys, go online and, and download the podcast. It's free. And listen to a few of Pastor Christian sermons, Pastor Aaron's sermons. It's life-giving. And you're going to understand a little bit more of, of the type of church this actually is. And, 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 and the vision that we have and where we're going and what God's going to do with us. So the zeal, okay? Zeal needs to be based in knowledge and truth based on the word of God. Okay, but just because being zealous looks a little crazy, it doesn't mean that we have to stop being zealous. Okay? Because that's kind of what like being zealous is supposed to look like. A little crazy. Like, what? You just had a baby, and you're going to pick up everything and move to Australia and on, a, on a church plant when there's no visas available for you? Are you crazy? No, that's not crazy. That's zeal. That's the zeal of the Lord. It takes zeal to follow God's calling sometimes. You look at Apostle Paul. He followed God's calling, and he got beat up. Got beat up, got put into jail, put into chains. He got shipwrecked. He got beat up so bad one time they thought he was dead. He's like, ah, oh. and they're like, oh, good, good riddance, Saul. And they all walk away, and he's on the ground. They think he's dead. He's like, oh, I'm alive. And he, and he, he gets up. Oh, I'm in pain, but he gets up. And he, and, and, and he starts, what does he say? Does he's like, oh, God, I'm cool. All right, I, I came this far. I'm just going to you know, go back to Tarsus and live my life. No, he kept going. He kept going and following the will of God. Even after he got beat to a point of death, he didn't give up. He didn't stop. And you know what you need to live a life like that? You need zeal. You need the zeal of the Lord. And I preached a similar message about Apostle Paul a while back, and I used the word passion. But I realized the word passion doesn't really completely encompass what we're trying to re- talk about here. It comes from the Greek word zealous, zalu. It means zeal, to be zealous. Because in the New Testament, the word passion, it's always used in a negative tone, connotation. 
You know, but, you know, people talk about, oh, the passion of the Christ. Well, it never really talks about the passion of the Christ. Yeah, Jesus died. He was crucified. The word passion, you know, it, it, whenever in the New Testament is used, it's always used in a negative connotation. This, this honorable passion, consumed with passion, our sinful passion, the flesh with its passions and desires. That word passion is really not the right word. What we're trying to get is zeal. It's the zeal of the Lord. It's a word that's set apart for God. You know, when you look at the definitions of passion, and when you look at the definition of zeal, you, you get a better understanding. Because when you look at the definition of passion, it's defined as a deep, overwhelming emotion. It's emotion-based. And although emotions are not bad, you know, we have emotion because God has emotions. And we, are, we, we experience God on an emotional level. It's not supposed to just remain on an emotional level. Our experience with God shouldn't just be an emotion. It's experiential, yes. We have to experience his emotions, but it needs to go beyond just emotions. But zeal, when you look at the definition of zeal, it's defined differently. It's defined as a fervent, enthusiastic devotion. Fervent devotion, selfless affection, dedication. There is action in this definition. Where emotions are felt, zeal is shown. And I believe that passion and emotion, when it's true, it produces zeal in your life. It burns. You burn with the zeal for the Lord. You, it can't help but produce action. And what God is calling for us is, yes, he wants us to experience God, him on an emotional level, we are to have a passion and desire for God, but the emotion needs to produce something in us, something that is tangible, and it's zeal. He's, God wants zeal in our lives. We need to be burning with the zeal of the Lord. Because you identify a life of zeal, not by what the person felt, but what they did, what they produced. When zeal is burning in you, it produces something. You look at Steve Jobs. He was a man who had a zeal, for innovation and creativity. Throughout his whole entire career, that was a thing. He had a zeal for it. He made sure that the companies that he led was innovative, you know, and creative. And when you, you can see it in the way that he ran his companies. You can see it in the products that he produced. And Apostle Paul, we know that he had zeal, not, because said, he's not just because he said he had zeal, but because of what he did, what he produced, how he lived his life. We see the zeal manifest itself. God wants his people to not just live a life of feelings and emotions, but to go further and live a life of zeal for the Lord. A zeal that produces action. A zeal that burns for the Lord. You know, we take the blessings, the gifts, the emotions, the desires that, we, that God gives us, and we live a life of zeal. So how do we know that God wants to live a life of zeal you look at the people that God raises up for his purpose. You look at the people that God raises up. You look at people like Apostle Paul. He had a life of, he, he was zealous for the word of God, for the, for the gospel. He had a zeal. He was going to go to the ends of the earth. He didn't care if he died. You look at Peter, Apostle Peter. Yeah, he made a few mistakes, you know, but he was zealous. Like when we saw Jesus walking on water, it's like, Jesus, like, call, I, want, I want to do that too. Call me and I'll go. I'll walk on water. He actually walked on water. You know, and when Jesus is like, oh, I'm, I'm going to wash your feet. He's like, no, you will not wash my feet, Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, unless I wash you, you will have no part of me. Like, then wash all of me. <laughs> no, like he was zealous. He had, a, he had a zeal for Jesus. You know what I mean? John the Baptist, he lived in the wilderness. Ate locusts and honey. Lived kind of like a crazy man. But he had a zeal to, to usher in the, in the, to clear the way for the coming of the Messiah. There's a zeal that was upon him. In the Old Testament, we see David. Man, David was a man of zeal. If you look at the Psalms that he wrote, you know that he is a man of zeal. The type of worship that he had, it was zealous. He wrote so many of them. He had a zeal for the Lord. When he fights Goliath, he's a little guy. Everybody's scared of him. He's like, man, who is this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine that's going to come against the armies of the Lord? 
And he looks at him. He's like nine feet tall. He's like, man, God is with me. You come against me with sword and shield and javelin. I come against you with the what? The name of the Lord. And he has a sling. Bam. He kills him. He kills him. That's a zeal, man. It took zeal. David had zeal to be able to face Goliath and say, you know what? I can beat you because God is with me. The name of the Lord is with me. You know what I mean? That, that takes zeal. That's the zeal of the Lord. Elijah the prophet, he goes against 450 prophets of, of Baal. There's a guy, there's a king, Ahab, met a really wicked woman named Jezebel. The most wicked woman in history. Probably. She was bad. And she had everybody in Israel, you know, like going off into idolatry, worshiping this, this false image of Baal. And they had raised up all of these prophets. It basically created like this, this, this demonic religion. And the people of Israel were following. They were worshiping. And Elijah, and he comes. And he's like, man, this can't, this can't happen. The Lord, Lord calls him and goes. And he's like, man, you guys, you prophets of Baal, you guys do whatever you got to do. You know, make your sacrifice and we'll see if Baal listens. So they put all the animals, kills all these cows and animals. And then all these prophets, 450 of them, are whipping themselves, cutting themselves, trying to bring Baal to do something with his offering. And nothing happens. Nothing happens. They, they were cutting themselves. They're like, ah, Baal! Baal! They're walking around this, 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 this pile of meat. He's like, Baal! 450 of them. Nothing happens. And then Elijah, he's like, you know what? Go bring some water. Put it on. Water. And they put, and get some more water, put more water on there. And then he calls upon the name of the Lord. And fire falls from the sky and consumes the offering. And you know what happens? People of Israel come right back to the Lord. God, God, he is the Lord. And he's like, you know what? Round up the, the 450 prophets of Baal. They round them up, take them down to a, a little river, and they kill them. They slaughter them all. He doesn't leave anybody. Kills every single one of them. That is, that is a zeal for the Lord. That is a zeal for the Lord. He didn't, he, it was like, all right, I know you guys did bad, but you know, I'm, I'm just going to let you go and don't come back. No, he's like, you guys have to die. Every single one of you, you guys will die. There's some gangster people in the Old Testament. I'm telling you, man, there's a guy named uh, Jehu. He actually, he actually kills Ahab and, and Jezebel. He does it in a gangster way. He kills everybody. <laughs> and, and then uh, there's a guy named Phineas in Numbers. You know, because uh, the people, the people of Israelites had, had started, uh, these men had started marrying and, and, and cohorting with uh, these, these, these women from this other, other nation and were worshiping their, their false idols, the gods. It was Baal again. And then God says, you know what? Every man, you know, hang every captain that does this, and hanging from a tree. And then Moses says, you know what? Go and kill every single one of these men. And while he says this, this man and this woman, this man comes in with his, you know, his, bro- his bride, who is one of these women from this other, other tribe. Well, everybody's weeping. All these, all these, all these uh, people are weeping because people are going to die. And this guy comes in. He's like, hey, how you doing? Like my wife? And then this guy named, this guy named Phineas, he gets a spear. And he just stabs both of them. <laughs> Two and one. He kills him. He kills him. Right then. He kills him. I want you guys to turn the numbers. It is gangster, dude. Numbers 25. Numbers 25. 1 through 13. I'm going I'm to catch it right here. It says, Behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meetings. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it and rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through their bellies. 
Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. People were dying because they were falling into idolatry. There was a curse that was upon this land. And the Lord, and the, and the, it says, if you read on, And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel, Israel in my jealousy. For those of you guys who don't know, the Hebrew word for jealousy and zealousness is the same word. It's kana. It's kana and kani. Or kani and kana. <laughs> jealous. It also, jealous, you know, in our word, jealous and zealous sound similar. Different meaning. But in the Hebrew word, it's the same. It means jealous. So when you read, it says, I am I'm a, I'm a zealous God. Jealous God. We can see it as he's a zealous God. And in, in Phineas's zealousness, He's like, you know what? It's not going to stand. This man must die. This woman must die. And, and, and because of his zealousness, the curse that was upon this land was lifted. The wrath of God was held back. How do we know that God wants us to be zealous? Who is the first person to be described as zealous? Is God himself. It's because he is zealous. Exodus 20, for I... Your Lord am a jealous God. You can translate that as zealous God. I believe that the first person, the first being to ever have zeal is the Lord. All zeal comes from the Lord. He is zealous for His glory, for His holiness, for justice and righteousness. Our God is a zealous God. And because He is zealous, we too are called to be zealous. Romans 12:11 Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. As people of God, we have to be a people of zeal. Zeal of the Lord, it needs to burn in us. Zealous for good works, Titus 2:14 Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous for leadership. Romans 12, 8 says, For the one who leads, lead with zeal. You know, the NRTC, there's new leaders being raised up. And you guys, when you guys are leaders, you guys are going to be, you know, reserve leaders. But one day, you guys are going to be active leaders. And, and in your leadership, you are called to be zealous. Active leaders now, with your small group members. You have to be zealous. You know why? Because people follow zealous people. We have to have a zeal for repentance. Revelations 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. And I see this as being zealous about cutting sin out of our life. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like Elijah killing those prophets of Baal. He didn't let any of them live. He killed them all. And that's the way that we have to be with sin. We've got to just eradicate it from our lives. We have to be zealous in repentance. Always turning away from sin. Ah, ah. <laughs> constantly turning be zealous when you're not it might be like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> alright that happens we gotta be zealous in how we look at sin cutting it out of our lives zealous for worship be extravagant in worship is one of our core values and when we were, today's worship was powerful. It was powerful. Pastor Herman is taking worship on a whole new level. But you know what? It's not really Pastor Herman. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. God wants to take us to a new level of worship. We have to be zeal for worship. Zeal for the Word of God. You know, if you look at Paul, man. Although in his old, before his conversion... He was, he, he was an angry man, he was, he was a hate-filled man. But you know what he was? He was a man that had a zeal for the Word of God, had a zeal for Scripture. And that, after his conversion, translated into most of the New Testament because he had such a zeal for the Word of God. So when, the minute that he was aimed in the right direction, he was like, bam, oh, this is it. And everything that he learned 
throughout all of his teachings from Gamaliel and all of the Pharisee, you know, all of the scribes and all of the, all of the Old Testament, the Torah and all, it just came right back. It's like, man, this, this, this is the way it is. And it came alive to him. But he had dug into it for years. He had a, he had a zeal for the word of God. And we too must have a zeal for the word of God. I'm going to end with this. It says in Psalm 69, 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Jesus was a man of zeal. He had a zeal for his house, his church, his bride. A zeal of the Lord burned in him. We see this when we see Jesus in the Gospels, when he goes to the temple, and he sees the money changers. And he makes his whip, and he goes crazy. He's not like, oh, you guys stop. Come on. This is just, just the temple of the Lord. You should not do this. Nah, he took a whip. He started whipping people, flipping tables. He's like, man, this, but house should be a, a house of prayer. And he went crazy. He, he knocked people. People were scared of him. But it was a zeal he had. He had a zeal for the Lord that burned in him. And it says in the word of God, his disciples saw them. Because, oh, they, remi- they remembered that this verse. It said, for the zeal of your house will consume him. Jesus had a zeal of the Lord. So how do we get the zeal? How do we get zeal? How do we, how do we foster a zeal of the Lord in our lives? And number one, goes back to my first point. Get, your, get the right identity. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. Get that shame and condemnation off of you. Start walking right in the presence of the Lord. And number two, you need to encounter the fire of God, the presence of God. And not just encounter it, but go after it. You know, for years, our church, we had Friday fire. It was every Friday. Right now, it's every other Friday. But for years, it was every Friday. And every Friday, we got together. And every Friday, man, I remember I had this zeal. Like, I had to be at Friday fire. I had to be there. Because I knew that something was going to happen. And things happened. And you know what? Things happen now, Friday fire. You guys need to seek it out. Although it might be only twice a month, you guys need to seek it out. Seek out the fire of God. Seek out the presence of God. That's, that's you know what? Because God is always described as what? God of what? God of fire, right? He's, he's burning. That fire is his zeal. And as he, as he burns and then people get near him, his people start to burn. We have to go after the fire of God. You know, people that have experienced the fire of God, Pastor Mina, many times she's experienced the fire of God. She's a very zealous person. It's one of the things that I saw about you know, before we even started dating. I was like, man, Mina is a very zealous person. Comes from the fire of the Lord. There's, there's so many stories of, of people in our church that have an, a radical encounter with God. They're on the ground. They're like, ah, I, me, one of them. And it radically changes their lives. Sets them on a path. And you see zeal in their lives. A zeal for the Lord. Comes from an encounter with God. What happened to Paul? And he's like, he, he was completely against Jesus. And the moment that the light of God shined on him, that's the fire of God was on him. He's like, oh, you are God. You are, you are the son of God. It was an encounter with him. It was an encounter with his presence. He was not there when Jesus you know, he was not, he was not one of the disciples. He was, you know, Jesus, Paul never really had a relationship with Jesus when Jesus was alive. It all came from that moment. Bam! It was an encounter. It's what we got. It's what we can get. That we, we, we may never personally see Jesus until we go to heaven. But that same experience that Paul got, we, we have access to that. And we go after the fire of God. We have to go after the presence of God. It's like it's the, the example of Elijah and the, and the prophets of Baal. After all the Baal, after the fire came and consumed the offering, you know what happened to the people of Israel? They came back to God. Their zeal for the Lord came back. Like, he is God. He is the Lord. And when, when Elijah said, you know, gather them up, we're going to kill them. They're like, all right, we'll do it. The zeal of the Lord comes from an encounter with the fire of God. And Isaiah 9, 7, I want you guys to turn. Your Bible, I'm going to close with this. Isaiah 9, 7. 
And this is cool. Isaiah 9, 7 is a famous passage. It's talking about a very special person. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He says, the, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And from the, it will be always increasing from this day forth, evermore. Kingdom of God is always increasing. It's always advancing. Never decreasing. You know, and, you know, it, it's basically saying, Jesus, his, his kingdom, even now, as we speak, it's advancing. It's increasing. It's from going glory to glory. It's growing. We may not think so. It may not seem like it from what we see on TV and what we see from on the streets. But his kingdom is always advancing. It's always increasing. And what does it say after that? It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If we want to see Jesus in our churches, if we want to see Jesus in our schools, if we want to see Jesus in our government, if we want to see Jesus in, in, in North Korea, if we want to see Jesus... In Busan, here in Kwangali, we have to burn with the zeal of the Lord. It says, the zeal of the Lord will do this. It's going to advance the kingdom of God. How? By the zeal of the Lord. By His people burning with the zeal of the Lord. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will accomplish these things. And it has to be more than just passion. It's got to be more than an emotion that we feel. It's got to set us into action. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Burn with the zeal, like Phineas and Elijah the prophet, David, Apostle Paul, the zeal that burned in him. This is the zeal of the Lord. The burning zeal of the Lord. We have to burn with that zeal. God calls us to burn with that zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God's calling us a new level. It's calling us into a, a life of zealousness. I want you guys to close your eyes. I'm just going to go into a t- short time of prayer.